Catching up on the latest from Otherworld Computing with Larry O'Connor. This is Mac Voices. This edition of Mac Voices is supported by our Patreon patrons. Help support Mac Voices and gain access to the Mac Voices Slack and Mac Voices After Dark at patreon.com slash macvoices. Welcome to Mac Voices. This is the talk of the Apple community, and I'm Chuck Joyner. Folks, as I've told you and told you, I didn't make it to CES this year, so I didn't get to have conversations with some of my favorite people. But we're going to fix one of those right now today. Um, Larry O'Connor is here from OWC. Larry, it's great to see you. Thanks for uh, doing this. Yeah, likewise, Chuck. You know, glad glad to be on. You know, miss you at CES, but not a, not a whole lot going on at CES anyway. Well, that's that's kind of the impression I had from talking to different people, but I still missed our conversations because you always have great new products, and OWC's name keeps coming up, uh, in, in, especially in our live shows. People say, you know, here's here's a solution I got from OWC, or I just got this from OWC. So uh, you're, you're well represented here. Yeah, we appreciate that. And, you know, it really, you know, it's our pleasure to keep bringing these. I, I can't say it any other way. Keep bringing these great solutions out. And, you know, truthfully, I mean, they are great solutions because of the customer feedback that drives them. You know, we don't just decide this is going to be fun to, to make one day and, and try to get everybody to buy it. I mean, these are solutions that you know, really are the result of a lot of feedback you know, from different users, customers, you know, everybody, they say, that makes that OWC product you know, be, you know, become a reality. So we, we thank everybody who obviously uses our solutions and all the feedback that, that makes these solutions and what they are. Well, I thought what we do, if it's okay with you, is instead of trying to just nickel and dime different products, Talk like we would have at CES about what you were sharing there, what's new, what's exciting, and what trends you're seeing in the in the market. Well, certainly, I guess we start with a couple of the new products. You know, we have our new product, uh, the Thunderbolt Three product that now supports CF Express. You know, full charging. I mean, for somebody in media and ingest, I mean, this thing is it's got all the ports you need for different devices. You may be connecting and disconnecting 10G uh, uh, Ethernet for high speed network. And then that CF Express reader, so you can bring in those those big media cards as well. That product actually replaces our version one, the Pro Dock, that shipped and was very successful about the last uh, four years. And this is a Pro Dock that takes you know, our pros into the future. You know, going right along with that, we introduced our first CF Express cards. You know, we're entering the media market with both CF Express and SD cards, and not just any uh, say media cards, anything that we're producing. They're built. A lot of effort and energy went into these solutions, which have the highest reliability and the highest performance. You know, what people are shooting today and offloading today, you know, one, they can be really large files. Number two, you know, they require high speed so that you're not missing frames or having other little surprises. And these media cards, whether SD or CF Express, you know, perform at the highest levels, both on the right side and true sustain. You know, it's not just a burst number we show. You know, we're showing what our actual sustained data rates are, so you can count on that media performing during a capture. And then the offload speeds are the, the pretty much the highest reach speeds you get off these cards. And what was really uh, you know, fun to uh, confirm, it's really good to confirm, the readers that we built into our docs, that we compared to, we compared those to a popular readers, you know, looking to benchmark, you know, make sure we were testing our cards the same way you test our card or anybody in, in the space would test a, a different media card. And the readers in our docs also happen to be you know, pretty much the fastest readers on the planet. So you have one of our docs with an SD reader, one of our new docs with a CF Express reader. You, know, you don't have to buy 
another reader. There's not another reader you can buy today that will give you higher performance when, when bringing that data off those cards. Or for that matter, if you're going to use cards to move data around, you can also write pretty much the fastest piece possible in our docs. Larry, when I saw the the uh, press releases about those, I thought that was very interesting that you were getting into this space um, because it's not something that, that OWC has done before. But you just outlined kind of why. Um, do you feel like these are these are really superior? And, and how are you achieving that when so many people out there are making these cards but are not? You know, there's lots of commodity cards, but just like solid, I mean, this is kind of a, a tangent off our solid state space and experience there. You know, there's different ways to uh, to bring a card you know, together in terms of the uh, the man that's selected and the controller. And, you know, we have the opportunity, again, to build just like the Extreme Pro, just like our, our Gen 3 drives, just like our new Gen 4 uh, and that two drives. And we've got a choice in how we build those drives to maximize the performance. And also, in this particular case, to all PSLC so that you're, you know, you're at maximum reliability as well. You know, we hear things from customers at the end of the day, you know, Data is important, and this kind of fits right. It fits into our experience, and it fits, obviously, certainly into a customer needs. I mean, the next big thing that we're working on is actually getting these cards, you know, some official certification recognition. We've self-certified and done, you know, incredible amount of testing over the past year, and now actually getting recognition, saying manufacturers also agree with us. In addition to users that are using the cards, agreeing with us and enjoying the cards, and having some official recognition on those cards because they really were built in, in a way that few cards are. I'm a little embarrassed. I didn't even think about the idea that um, you would be able to translate your in, your knowledge of solid state media into cards. That makes perfect sense, but I just didn't equate the two for no good reason. No, they definitely, definitely align. And I have to say, it's a lot of experience, all sorts of, I mean, you know, we certainly have learned a lot over the last, you know, now it's 12 years of you know, building solid state products. So you also mentioned the ProDoc, uh, and I think this is an area that OWC has definitely excelled in. I mean, you have a variety of different docs for, it feels like, for different needs. Um, and it's, I think it's you are one of the first places we anyone goes when they need that solution. Um, even with the new MacBook Pros from Apple with three Thunderbolt ports, we all still need more ports. We're plugging in more and more stuff. It is crazy how fast the ports go, and you know we, the variety of docs. I mean, even in turn, like, geez, why do we have? Why can't we just have one Thunderbolt dock? And you know, the reality is, you know, we've got we still have our our fourteen port dock, which is going to continue for a good period of time, which supports everything. You know, regardless of what OS you're on, anything that's got a Thunderbolt three or a Thunderbolt four port, you know, that dock is good to go on, and that's really important because in a lot of workflows, I mean, people are still running OS versions that are prior to OS eleven. You know, we moved our Thunderbolt 4 dock, which if you're on a, uh, an M1 Mac or you're on any Intel Mac or PC for that matter that's got a Thunderbolt 4 port or Apple's Thunderbolt 4 Thunderbolt port or uh, an older Intel Mac. I say older. I mean, they're not really that old. We're still shipping Intel Macs today. Of course, the iMac is still Intel. As long as you're running OS 11 on the Mac, the Thunderbolt 4 dock is a great solution. Gives you a nice port and gives you for the first time in a dock. You know, more Thunderbolt ports. They're not just Type-C ports, they're full-fledged Thunderbolt ports, which our hub also does if you just need more Thunderbolt ports plus that USB port that we that we're able to add into that solution. And I'm not trying to confuse or muddy the waters or all this stuff, but it's important to note that you know, if you're running uh, 10, 15, 7 or prior, you, know, you need to have a Thunderbolt 3 solution 
in terms of a Thunderbolt dock. And our Pro dock, you know, still supports, still has a Titan Race chipset, which gives you that full compatibility with 1015 and prior OSs, in addition to OS 11 and everything into the future. The Thunderbolt 4 dock, you know, uses a Goshen Race chipset, a newer chipset, and that's not a problem. You see, well, geez, I don't want the old stuff. The Titan Ridge chipset is, in many ways, more capable than Goshen Ridge, and it has to do with you know how the uh, you know what the chip's been what the chipset's been designed to do. And I didn't mean to step into this uh, minefield, but I'm talking Thunderbolt three and Thunderbolt four. But Thunderbolt four on the peripheral side, the only thing it's delivering to you is the ability in, in a chipset is for us to give you products to give you more Thunderbolt ports. So in terms of other functionality, including even 8K video support through the dock, you know, the Titan Ridge chipset, which our docks are, which we are now building docks with, you know, gives you the same capability there as the Goshen Ridge chipset. The new Thunderbolt chipset in the peripheral only, its only purpose in the world today is so that we can give you more Thunderbolt four ports, Thunderbolt three slash four ports. If it's a dock without those extra ports, without the Thunderbolt ports, but has USBs and gigabit ethernet and they say more or 10G Ethernet, audio, you know, USB A's, USB C's, you know, video outs, all these other functions that we need on a dock. There's no difference in performance or capability. You know, you're not losing anything, uh, you know, by having a uh, with a Thunderbolt three flag dock versus a Thunderbolt four dock or a Thunderbolt four hub for that matter. Thunderbolt four in a peripheral does one thing: it lets us build you a solution that gives you more ports. And we also brought out the first Thunderbolt four storage solution, which is our mini stack. And the reason we went Thunderbolt 4 in the new mini stack is it's also a, a Thunderbolt dock in a sense. It gives you it's the first storage solution that in addition to give you, giving you a hard drive and an NVMe a, a storage device inside this. So two drives, one SSD and then one SATA drive, which could be a, a hard drive up to 20 terabytes or a, a solid state, a two and a half inch drive. Now, the 16 terabytes, it also gives you more Thunderbolt ports. We were able to do this because the purpose of this storage you know, didn't require more lanes for the storage. So we give you, we're giving you storage in the mini stack and more Thunderbolt ports. But again, that's the only reason it's Thunderbolt 4. If we were not going to give you Thunderbolt ports, in addition to the, the standard uh, daisy chain port, you know, that would have been a Titan Ridge or Alpine Ridge product. I'm, I'm, I know you said you're sorry you stepped in this. I'm glad you stepped in this because this is something that I think is confusing a lot of people. So Thunderbolt, and you, you said it so well, Thunderbolt, all Thunderbolt 4 does is allow you to give us more ports. So what if I need more ports than you can give me in one device? Can I daisy chain these, uh, say, two of your Thunderbolt 4 docks? You actually can. You know, we don't really recommend daisy chaining uh, out to add more ports you know, downstream. The, the more you daisy chain in that way, you're actually, you, you add latency and you can reduce performance. But you you can, you know, how I say, and it, without that the impact, Add docks or, or Thunderbolt hubs or docks you know, with more ports to your dish. If you have three ports or four ports on a machine, depending on the system, use the other, use, a, use a different port for each hub or expander. It's not significant, but if you go five docks out, you know, technically there's a gray area in terms of what's supported and not supported, but the, the more you go out, the more you daisy chain, you know, you're adding latency to the chain. One of the other nice things about a Thunderbolt hub or the OWC Thunderbolt docks for that matter, is the ability to reduce some of the chaining. You know, we bring your devices closer to the computer. And also, you can, you can still daisy chain six devices, you know, off your system as well, off a single Thunderbolt 4 port or Thunderbolt 3 port for that matter. 
So if you add a, a dock, you now can have, that has those three downstream ports, you can now have three chains with those additional devices. Now, the only time, you know, the only place where I, I believe you really you know, find yourself needing more Thunderbolt ports, you know, close to the computer or in general on the computer is when you have bus power devices that are single-ended. Anything or a GPU that's single-ended, but anything that's not single-ended uh, where you can daisy chain, you know, you're giving yourself the ability to have those additional chains. And it's actually really nice not to necessarily chain everything. Actually, again, bring things closer to the computer so that it's not maybe, maybe you have four devices that are currently chained out. With the hub of the dock, you can now bring those, those devices closer to the computer, which gives you a little bit of benefit in performance. And it also means that you need to take something out of your chain. You want to bring something out, you know, move it to another computer, take it someplace, whatever that might be. You don't have to break your whole chain if it's in the middle because you've taken it out and then you've got to connect it now more directly. So in, well, not in theory. In fact, it sounds like I could take th- th- four of the Thunderbolt um, hubs and our docs, excuse me. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. But I can I could take three of those, plug them into my MacBook Pro using each one of the Thunderbolt ports, and I'm good. Correct. Okay. So no, we've wanted to do this for years. I mean, we were, I mean, one of the most exciting things that Thunderbolt Four brought on the external peripheral side was the ability to add more Thunderbolt ports. Everybody's wanted Thunderbolt ports. That's when you know, Thunderbolt One first came out. And while there were ways to kind of hack it on the uh, I mean, how to say, the previous chipsets, it was never approved and it was not something that could ever, well, you have to get approval and certification to release anyhow. It was fantastic to see this finally supported with Thunderbolt 4. You know, another thing that Thunderbolt 4 brings is a definition for cables that are marked Thunderbolt 4. And any Thunderbolt 4 cable is completely universal. Thunderbolt for anything that's, anything that's type C to C. Doesn't matter if it's Thunderbolt 3, doesn't matter if it's Thunderbolt 4, doesn't matter if it's USB-C. Uh, it matters not what you're connecting with a, a Thunderbolt 4 cable. It will provide the maximum power up to 100 watts and the maximum throughput up to 40 gigabits that the computer and or device you're connecting support, which is really nice because USB-C cables often aren't marked. You know, a lot of cables are really only designed for data and I'm sorry, for uh, for power. Cables that are designed for power on the USB-C side look like they or act kind of like they work because the minimum on a power cable, even though you still have a USB 2, uh, 40, 40, geez, megabit. No, is it megabit? Yeah, it is megabit. It's 480 megabits, you know, 48, you know, effectively, you know, 48, uh, yeah, 48 megabytes a second slow. I mean, USB 2 speed data connection, which if you connect that to a data device, a USB C data device, again, it looks like it kind of half works. People, have often connected the Apple power cable that comes with their laptop to a dock, to a not even to a Thunderbolt dock, to a Type C dock. And you know some of the ports work, some don't. I mean because it's, it's there's no bandwidth for the product, but it acts like it works and becomes a tech support headache and a frustration for the customer. until you go, oh, you know, which cable are you using? I use an Apple cable. It's a really nice cable. Look, it's, it's a super premium. It is a fantastically built cable, and it's built specifically for power. So it does not have the uh, the chipset to support the uh, the up to 10 gigabit speed. Thunderbolt 4 cable, if it has that 4 on it, you never have to worry. Even with Thunderbolt 3, there's a gray area. There's active Thunderbolt 3 cables, which would be the 40 gigabit cables that are uh, two meter up to, I'm sorry, one meter and longer. Those are full speed for Thunderbolt, but those also fall to USB 2 speed if you're connecting a USB device because the, the active chipset is really designed for Thunderbolt. 
a passive interval three cable, which the longest length was 0.8 meters, those provide, those are universal just like the Thunderbolt 4 cable. But in Thunderbolt 4, it doesn't matter what the length is, anything that's like Thunderbolt 4, connect with whatever it has, if it's a C connection on either end, it will connect it and it will give you the, whatever, as long as the device and the computer and the hosts are compatible, whatever the maximum power needed, whatever the maximum throughput possible, you get it with a Thunderbolt 4 cable. And then the third thing, the Thunderbolt 4 probably really kind of cleared up. The PC side of the fence has really been a nightmare with Thunderbolt 3 and Thunderbolt 3 peripherals. There's, there wasn't this, you know, Apple, inter Apple gave us everything that Thunderbolt could do when they put Thunderbolt 3 on their machines. And that goes back to 2016. And that's also why a Thunderbolt 3 computer from 20, from 2016, the first Apple systems with Thunderbolt 3 Type-C, can run and fully operate and take advantage of Thunderbolt 4 devices today with OS 11 and later. It was a software update to enable those capabilities. The same is not true on the PC side of the fence. So that's because there are all sorts of different implementations that Thunderbolt allows on PC for Thunderbolt 3. So some <clears throat> only do 20 gigabits, some didn't have you know, the full video capability, some didn't have power delivery. You know, there's PCI lane address issues with some of these systems, which can make it, even if you have Thunderbolt 3 and, and a Thunderbolt 3 card, there's sometimes compatibility problems you know, with certain Thunderbolt devices. And these aren't things that have anything to do with other than you know, the standard wasn't really, it, it wasn't enforced the way it had been with the first Thunderbolt version, Thunderbolt 1 and 2, and the way Apple always maintained it on the Mac. Thunderbolt 4 on the PC side, it brings standardization which was really long overdue so that if you do have to work for the, on a PC, if it has a Thunderbolt 4 port or has Thunderbolt 4, you know, noted as part of the system, well, you know it's going to work just like it's always worked on, on the Apple side. You make me want to go and just abandon everything and buy brand new Thunderbolt 4 cables and just be done with it because it's, it's you, it, I mean, that's a nightmare trying to get through this. And especially, as you said, for cables that are not marked. You know, a lot of people have been doing that. And again, I, if it's a Type-C cable, hey, great for, you know, if you got iPads and other devices that you know are lower power. And that is the other, you know, kind of, you know, a pain. Even in cases where, you know, the cable, you know, you've got a cable just for power, a lot of those aren't marked for how much power. So, and the worst ones are cables that aren't certified for 100 watts, but don't have a, uh, a controlling chipset in them and will pass 100 watts, even though they may only be designed or being used using materials that are safe for 30 or 60 watts. So that's more of an outlier. If you're buying quality cables, you know the cable itself is going to be limited to what the cable can handle, but it's still really frustrating. You pull the cable that looks like it should work. It's got the right ends on it, but nothing happens or you don't get full bandwidth or you don't get full power. You know, Thunderbolt 4 cables certainly uh, take that guesswork away, and you know, time is time is valuable. And knowing the cable you're going to plug in is going to work no matter what is is kind of nice. But I I, I think you still, those other cables, hey, use it for they're, they're great charging cables. I think we need a way to find find a way to test the cables and identify them so we know what the heck they are. Um, but that's a whole other discussion. Yeah, uh, you can you can definitely get away with it on your computer. And your computer will say if you plug in a, a USB-C cable that's only able to pass 31 watts or 60 watts, you know, when you plug it in be, to, to a charger that can, if you have a computer that wants 96 watts and you have a charger delivering 96 watts, it'll, it'll show that you're only getting 60 watts through that cable. So 
I mean, there, you do have that ability to identify. What you don't have is the ability to identify a, a bad generic cable that doesn't put any limits on power other than, you know, you're passing 100 watts or 96 watts through it and it starts to get really warm or worse. So I just did it a minute ago, and I think we need to ask you to clarify. What's the difference between a Thunderbolt hub and a Thunderbolt dock? Because I think a lot of us use that interchangeably, and we're not we're doing ourselves an injustice. Well, they both have the same core chipset, which is a Goshen Riz Thunderbolt chipset. You know, we differentiated the the hub from the dock in terms of the hub is really just focused on those Thunderbolt ports. You know, there's a USB port in addition to the the Thunderbolt ports, but it's really a hub. I mean, you plug in. I mean, the intent is you plug in your Thunderbolt, and it's giving you more Thunderbolts. Our docks, you know, including our docks with Thunderbolt ports, are giving you an addition to the Thunderbolt ports if it's a Thunderbolt 4 dock. They're also giving you a sort of other you know, interfaces, you know, a bunch of USBs, Ethernet, you know, audio. You know, it's more of a true docking solution versus you know, something that's just more single purpose for more Thunderbolt ports. Okay. Does it affect the performance or is it, are you getting anything different in terms of, you know, the Thunderbolt 4 capability on the ports? No, it's just, this one is really there for, for the primary purpose for more Thunderbolt ports. This guy over here is the same Thunderbolt ports in the case of our Thunderbolt 4 dock versus our hub, but we also give you all those other ports as well. More of a docking solution because it has everything else you need, you know, really if you're going to be, you know, using that as, you know, one cable to connect it all. Okay. I know we're getting a little, we've gotten a little geeky here, but but this is important stuff, um, and especially for people that are having performance issues with their devices. Maybe they're not charging as fast as they should. Maybe they're getting warm. Um, you know, maybe the, you're not transferring the data as fast as you as you need. Um, it's it's too bad that the standards were not enforced a little more because that would have made. It. Each time we get a new iteration, and they say, "Oh, this is going to solve it. This is going to so everything's going to make perfect sense." And then there, there are always exceptions. Well, in fairness, you know, Thunderbolt has, for the most part, done a really good job with the standards. You know, I would say the PC makers, you know, they were the ones that kind of let some things slip or maybe got... Uh, I, I, there's no reason why the PC couldn't have had the same stability and future port could have the Mac, but different decisions were made and it was, you know, things were a little bit different, I guess, more difficult to test and enforce on that side of the fence. But on the cable side, USB is still a mess. I mean, it's still... You know, you walk into a, a Home Depot and you see a charging cable. It's, it's a quality brand. It's not a bad, you know, I'm not going to name the brand. I mean, it's, it's a it's a household brand. There's nothing wrong with the brand, but it's a 61-watt cable. You know, it's how they have it marked, how they have it advertised. But you look at the cable that's in the packaging, and there's nothing on that cable that takes 61 watts. It's just, you know, there's USB has always been loosey-goosey. You know, you have to, you know, we build a lot of great USB products, so you really got to know who you're buying from when you buy anything USB external because it, it doesn't have the kind of certification and approval system that Thunderbolt has. You, we can't just tomorrow introduce a Thunderbolt product. It goes through, in addition to our rigorous testing, it then goes to Apple and Intel for their certification. And until we have their certification, we can't release and ship it. On the USB side, you know, it's the Wild West. I mean, it's self-certification, self, you know, effectively self-approval. You know, if the company is, I mean, it's really easy to fill the box and, and throw stuff in it and ship it. But, you know, it's really rigorous testing and engineering that delivers quality products in USB. USB is a great solution, but 
you know, you really have to have, you, you're really trusting the company you're buying that USB product from as opposed to Thunderbolt where there's still that factor because there is, there are differences in Thunderbolt solutions, you know, how you can build them, different quality aspects. But on top of everything that, you know, the, the, the company that we contribute to a product to a solution and, you know, building it, it still has to get, for us to sell it, it has to be uh, certified. And that's because there's, there are some products out there that have been popping up that are not certified that get out into the wild. And Intel works really hard to, to shut that kind of stuff down because that's a risk to the ecosystem in terms of stuff that hasn't been tested or, or failed to, be, to get approved for some reason and may not actually probably will not give you the experience that you're expecting from a Thunderbolt solution. Nice thing about OBC Thunderbolt solutions, you know, you can get those products, whatever the product is, and you know it's going to work. And that's something that we always want Thunderbolt to be associated with. And all of our products for that matter. But even, you know, when you go outside of, uh, so you go outside of OWC, you know, Thunderbolt is, is going to be a much more reliable solution than, than USB. And USB, again, it's, it, I won't say it's hit or miss. Again, there's plenty of great USB products out there, but there's less control over what to make and put out there. And if it's too good to be true, it's probably uh, too good to be true. Yeah. It's one of those little details that, Always seems to bite you, you know, that you're trying to save money. Um, you know, we talked about. I'll give you one thing. There's a USB product. You know, somebody asked, you know, you know why, uh, you know, how to say, we, we couldn't, you know, make one of our, our USB solutions, you know, lower cost. They pointed to a product that was about half the price of ours. And, you know, there's so great performance, you know, look, you know, just fantastic, wonderful. And you even look at it. So I said, okay, that's neat. Now, it just happens kind of interesting in the conversation, you know, one of our, uh, text a friend of his had gotten that exact solution and noted that it melted said, now that's not something that's going to happen to our aluminum solution and it's there to dissipate heat you know engineering and testing are important no matter what you're you're purchasing uh, you know you get what you pay for we all try to get around it and sooner or later it comes back to bite you you know but that's I mean, that's a little agreed. that's a little scary that something would generate that much heat that it could melt i mean that's that gets into a whole different set of dangers. Well, when you put it, you know, M.2 drives in particular draw a lot of power. You can get 15 watts across USB-C. You put that into a plastic enclosure that's not dissipating heat. Uh, it doesn't take a whole lot to, to melt that enclosure. So this stuff is not, uh, it's, it's not the low voltage, low power stuff that it was, you know, I say call it you know, 10, 15 years ago. On top of that, you know, more than 15 watts can come across some of these USB ports. And some of these drives that draw more than 15 watts if they're not controlled in the, uh, you know, with the firmware and the chipset. There's all sorts of little things that go together to make, you know, saving 10 or $20 on a USB enclosure. You know, again, it's, it's your data, your risk, but you know, it's different circumstances, different environment, but different outcomes. But yeah, again, uh, there's a lot of, there's companies who do a great job. You know, we're not, we, if there wasn't competition, it'd be hard. I mean, you always rise. You know, competition's great because it, it helps. It isn't a great customers, great competition helps us deliver great, you know, better products. But there's plenty of stuff out there that you know, they it's just put out there on price. You know, it's not tested. There's not good engineering behind it. And yeah, it can be sold real cheap. And as you said, you get what you pay for. One thing, you know, that you're ultimately contributing is you become, you know, a tester as opposed to the company having done the testing that should have happened before they sold it to you. It's funny you told that story because I recently had um, 
I'm not going to mention, like you, I'm not going to mention the name, but I had um, a, a, an SSD drive that I was doing for some with some video editing on. And the intent, you know, the rendering and all that, that can get pretty intense. And I have to assume that that's what happened because it trashed my project. And it, it, suddenly the, the drive is, uh, is unmounting and mounting, and then the data became corrupt on the drive. And I was honestly a little surprised because it, it seemed to be a reputable manufacturer. But, you know, right away, that drive went in the trash, and I will never trust that drive manufacturer again. And just, you know, you touch the hot stove once, that's all you need to touch. And, you know, you've learned. So, yeah, it's all drives and all everything is not built alike. You really have to pay attention. Sure. And in fairness, I mean, we understand our customers. I mean, they're doing demanding projects. I mean, they're going to hit these drives with a lot of data. Know, throughput. It's not just going to be a copy here and a read right there. I mean, it's, I mean, if you're running a project, that can be hours of you know, read and write against that drive. And that's why they're built the way they're built. That's why they have the heat dissipation that they have. That's why they, they put the drives in. There's certainly, again, there's a lot of, you know, it, and again, you read some of the stuff from folks that don't do video editing or audio editing or, you know, I have to say mission critical work every day. And it's easy to say, yeah, this drive works fine. And it may work fine up to a certain degree, but it's not been designed for that purpose. And if it's not been designed for that purpose, it's not going to last. I mean, I just, okay, yeah, you can put a, put a hitch on a, on a car and you know, I guess it'll, it'll pull that trailer to a certain degree, but it's not designed to do that. And it's, that car is going to break down a lot sooner than, you know, having, you know, the right vehicle that was designed to, to tow that, that load. Um, we've been, well, I guess, I think we've been talking more about the professional solutions here, um, but a lot of these solutions now, as sophisticated as some home users are getting, um, especially during the pandemic, it seems because we're all pushing our, our machines to do more. Um, you have plenty of solutions for the the home office or the home user as well, and that's something I really respect about OWC because of the quality of the support and the variety of products. A really long time ago, you know, the decision was made to build solutions for everybody. And effectively, and it's today, it's, you know, it's, you know people, you know, how they say, well, you know, I won't say make fun, but I mean, as this, it can be criticized when somebody says this, but we've been doing this for 20 years, you know, truly building, you know, professional grade solutions, you know, for everybody, you know, bringing them into the, uh, you know, rather than have a, a low end commodity product and then some really expensive specialized product, you know, at scale, we brought that what could have been a really expensive product you know, into a point where everybody has access to it. So it's, you know, we really, I mean, whether like people use solutions that are designed for video and major motion pictures are produced on, you know, as backup drives. And even as a backup drive, it's a great product. It's competitively priced and it's built to last. You know, we don't build things, you know, with the intent that, you know, they're going to fail after a year or so and it's time to get another. I mean, we warranty products for, a good period of time, we stand behind those products, and those products also have serviceability, you know, well beyond their warranty. Because you know, typically, if anything's going to go wrong, it, you know, drives eventually fail, but you can replace those and, and keep on cranking. I mean, we want the solutions that last. And you know, you, you know, it's, it's little things. I mean, the power supplies. You know, if we were building true consumer products, we'd have little dinky power supplies, you know, with their drives that, you know, okay, peak power spins them up, and then they run just fine. You know, how to say under the standard power, and then they, but every spin up, spin down, well, spin down, spin up cycle, you know, might hit their peak. And that's stress on the drive, stress on the, on the controller board. 
interest in the power supply. And it's, you know, we've always included oversized power supplies. And I say oversized, you know, more amperes than is necessary to run the drive under any circumstance. And by doing so, it's cleaner power, it's less stress, less, you know, less like electrical wear on the, uh, the components and leads to longer life. I mean, even if you're a home user, that's what you say that even if you're a home user, you know, a lot of us are home users, you know, in, in some form or another, you know, your data is still important, you know, your workspace, you know, what you're using your technology for is important. It needs to work. And, you know, that's you know, what our focus is. We've talked about this a million times here on the show, but some, in some ways, your home information is, is more important because it's yours. Um, you know, if I have all my photos somewhere and I want it stored on a drive that's going to be reliable, every time you see a tornado or a hurricane, the first thing people are scouring the remains for are their photos. And so there's, there's something to be said for putting them in the cloud, but there's also something to be said for not putting them on a cheap drive either. Agree to agree. And a little portable drive, that's easy to grab and, and take off with. And I, look, I'm all for the cloud, but I think that's a, a tertiary backup or ter- tertiary source of data, you know, in, re- in a recovery versus having a good physical backup that you own. You know, people get surprised, you know, when things aren't where they thought they'd be or thought that they would be in the cloud or something went wrong with a, uh, you know, with, with, with your cloud. And there's two, there's all, look, there's things that can go wrong with everything, which is why a good backup strategy, you know, doesn't depend on any one kind of backup. And personally, I think the first and foremost backups you should have are ones you own and control where you know, no third party, you know, could subject your data to an unintended loss or accessibility event. And besides that, it's a lot faster to have to download from a drive than it is to try to pull that stuff off the cloud. Yeah, but, and I agree with you completely, but also those drives don't skimp on those drives. They, they are backups, and that means they're supposed to be, you know, archival devices that not just the, the thing that you bought for twenty nine ninety five off of Amazon. So, I, I feel I feel really strongly about that because too many people have have contacted me and said, "Well, I have this problem, and that's where all my, you know, my bank records are or my photos." And it's like, well, sorry, <laughs> it's you know, not much. Uh, the options are limited. I mean, a data recovery house, hopefully. Yeah. But, you know, there's no reason to be in this circumstance. It's pretty crazy that, you know, you'll have the your most priceless information, but go, well, that drives $10 less than this one or $20 less, whatever it might be. So I'm going to save $20 and get a cheap drive. That's my most priceless, important data is going to be trusted upon. But, you know, it's... You know, I guess yes, human nature always looking for a deal, but I think the best deals are quality products. I mean, it's like anything else. I mean, if, I don't know. If you go to the store, I mean, if some product might be, I don't know, might be X less than the other, but if it doesn't taste good or it's, you know, Trish, whatever it might be, I mean, you're not going to buy that. I mean, drives are kind of the same gig. Buy a good drive for your data. And it's, I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, geez, when you look at what hard drives cost, you know, 20 years ago, you know, we get today 18 terabytes in an external drive for less than, you know, a, a two terabyte drive was even, I think, about 15 years ago. It's insane. You know, we generate a lot of data, but our cost to store, even when you account for more data to store, it still costs us a lot less today to have a good backup at home than it did, you know, 10, I think even 10, 12 years ago. 
And like you said, we're generating more data and it's more really important data that you don't want to mess with. So yeah, good advice. Good advice. I, I have to ask you just a fun question. What, what's your daily driver in the way of, uh, of a machine? A daily drive with car wise? No, 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 no. Um, you're, you're, what, what machine do you use? Oh, well, I use as, your, Yeah. You know, I'm really, uh, for the longest time, I used a MacBook Pro of Retina. It's 2015 that you know, I, I kept going until just right before the pandemic. And okay, the 2016, the 16 inch MacBook Pro looks pretty good. You know, I moved everything to it and converted stuff, and then I started having problems with it. Actually, had to go in uh, for warranty while it was, uh, you know, during the pandemic. So I switched to a desktop for a couple weeks at home, but I regretted it. Often I couldn't go back with these, so I hung around. You know, I kept going with the 16-inch MacBook Pro uh, Intel machine. I am I could not be happier today with the, the M1 Max 16-inch. Uh, upgraded that a couple months ago. It started for a couple months. It was uh, ended in November, beginning of December that it came in. Super, super happy with that machine. Love the battery life. I love the reliability, love the keyboard, and am so happy that there is no longer a touch bar. You know, whereas going to the 16-inch Intel machine was something that I regretted. The first two weeks, it was great. And then all of a sudden, I you know, started having some issues and glitches. And and I hadn't used it portable at the time yet. And when I started using it as a, a true portable, you know, realized that it's really hard not to touch that stupid touch bar when I type up in the, the corner. So it was one of those things. Okay, and then the geez, even the battery life was so horrible in that machine compared to even compared to the Retina. I was like, gosh, what have I done? But this new machine, M1 Max, I don't want to continue to belabor the past. You know, for the first time, you know, since the Retina, first time since probably the Titanium, you know, G4, you know, back in 2001. I really, uh, I'm really excited and happy with and uh, what I will now call the, the best laptop from Apple that I've ever had. It's funny you say that because I, I mean, I had the the previous Intel, and it was, I mean, it was great. It, it 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 was fine. I don't have the hatred for the Touch Bar that you do, but you know, each to their own. Um, but the fans were constantly. I guess I will clarify. I wasn't there hatred for the Touch Bar, and perhaps I know I could have made changes, but it was the fact that I always hit that Siri button. Even when you turn Siri off, if you hit that button, that she'd ask to be turned back on, and it was it was just one of those one of those things. Yeah. But but with the M this M1 MacBook Pro, I the fans never run. Or if they are, I sure can't hear them. Not like the old one. So yeah, I'm right there with you. It's it's a superior machine. Yeah, we went away. I took my wife away for the weekend, and yeah, great. I didn't you know, work a whole lot during the weekend. But you know, the plane flight, which is a couple hours plus, you know, at the hotel. I actually went the whole weekend without plugging it in, and it was you know it, the battery was just there, you know. The Intel machine, you know, just by the end of a plane flight doing you know, the kind of work that I typically do, it's, which isn't heavy. I mean, I'm not editing you know, video on the plane. You know, it's, it's more work-related OWC stuff, and, you know, that battery would be down to, you know, 15 20%. So it really, you know, the Apple's done a great job with the Apple Silicon, and M1 Max is, you know, so far fantastic. Yeah, we're all anxious to see what happens next. No question about it. I hope we get slots. I hope we get it. I hope we do get you know, the ability to upgrade memory, uh, you know, post purchase again, which I think is unlikely. But we'll see. I mean, it's tough having everything you know, factory soldered or or, or put on chip. 
So we'll see what the Mac, I'm, I'm really excited to see what the new Mac Pro uh, brings us, which hopefully we'll see at WWDC. Yeah. Well, hopefully we will, we'll have a, a part of an in-person option for DubDub. We'll have to see that too. So. Yeah, I think, I mean, so far they've announced that it's going to be virtual. So unless they uh, change their, change their plans on that, it's not going to be an in-person this year, which uh, we certainly miss. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Larry, thanks so much for the time. It's it's great catching up. I, as I said uh, when we started, I missed our visits at CES, and um, hope, hopefully next year things will be back to completely the way they were, and we can do this in person. Hey, here's hoping, and you know, NAB is coming up, so maybe maybe we'll see you there. Are you going? <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, right now I'm planning. Yeah, you say we're committed to the end of April. We're we're committed with a, a booth and a, and a good uh, hopefully a good show to put on. So Omicron should be history by then. And whatever new variant, we should hope you know herd immunity, vaccine immunity, all you know everything combined. I, I think we hoping <laughs> we're out of the pandemic woods and into whatever that next uh, that phase really is. Well, let's let's hope so because I'm signed up for NAB. So with a little walk, I'll see you there. Fantastic. Before we go, I have to let you uh, plug the site. Um, so where do folks go to get all this great product that we've been talking about? Yeah, you can learn about everything from OWC at OWC.com. And, of course, you can visit MaxSales.com and uh, go online and, and see great products and, and get them delivered from there as well. But as always, we appreciate your support You know, through whichever uh, channel partner preferred uh, recently you purchased from. So you know, thanks for always thank you for choosing OWC. Thank you, Larry. Really appreciate the time. Hopefully, I'll see you in Vegas. All righty, Chuck. Have a, have a good one there. You too. Folks, I'm Chuck Joyner. This is Mac Voices. OWC would, should be the first place you look if you're looking for any of the solutions Larry and I talked about and a whole lot more. Check there first and know that you're going to be buying quality. It's really, really important. Until the next time, and as always, thanks for watching. Visit macvoices.com for show notes and to connect with Chuck on social media. Get involved in our Facebook group or like our Facebook page and get more out of your Apple tech with Mac Voices Magazine, free on Flipboard and on the web. And if you find value in it all, consider supporting us through either our Patreon campaign at patreon.com macvoices or by making a one-time donation via the PayPal link on our front page and in the show notes of each episode you will join these fine people who help bring you Mac Voices. Advertising handled by Backbeat Media at backbeatmedia.com. Bandwidth provided by Cashfly at cashfly.com.